Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Uh, if you're new to the podcast or relatively new, we do, I think between all of us, we do at least three episodes per week, even during the off season. So we have the recruiting pod. Uh, we also have the basketball pod, Sam Webb, Tim McCormick. The recruiting pod is Sam, Steve, Bryce, uh, and occasionally the Joshes as well. Um, lots of guests as well throughout the throughout the summer. So you should get your fix on everything Michigan, no matter whether you're, you're a recruiting person, more of a team, current team-oriented fan, uh, or both. Be sure to subscribe, follow the podcast, uh, throw us a rating as well. Uh, sh- tell your friends about it. They might like it too. Anyways, uh, you can read all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. And this episode, uh, it's going to be all football. We did a mailbag last week. I answered a bunch of questions this week. Just a couple quick topics. There's a couple kind of um, broader, I guess, what I would call typical off-season topics. And then then we can uh, discuss Dalen Baldwin's commitment and and kind of what that means for the current team uh, i guess the first news item it's very quick there isn't much for steve and i to discuss michigan presented its tw- fiscal year 2022 projected budget and and obviously the the headline or the initial headline was that they're projecting a 63 million dollar deficit for this past year but in the projected 2022 budget Michigan did not do this last year. Last year, they project, projected 50% spectator revenue, combining ticket sales and seat licenses. This year, they're projecting 100%. Uh, so people keep asking, when is Michigan going to announce that they're 100%? Probably, they're probably not going to announce it until much later, just in case things change. Um, you know, in case, in, they've cited the MDHHS Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, it's going to be kind of their call if they keep capacity allowances at 100. But I think Michigan projecting 100% capacity is a pretty good sign if you are a ticket holder or someone who's inclined to go to the games, uh, that that it's probably going to be a full big house. So um, I guess that's that. That's very different from 2020. And speaking of, proud of that segue, uh, the main topic that we're discussing today, just because I've seen it come up on on Twitter, I've seen it come up on our message board, is kind of assessing how how much stock gets put into Michigan's 2020 season. I mean, the the, the debate, I guess, the at, on the surface is it was a weird year. They went two and four. Uh, they did not play non-conference opponents. They did not play kind of some of the games that I think Michigan and its fans have grown accustomed to being kind of the, the, the tune-up games, the warm-up games for the, for the schedule ahead. I mean, week, week one, they're playing a ranked team on the road. Week two, they're playing a rival. Week three, they're playing a ranked team on the road. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think of the six games they played, I, I want to say four of them were against ranked teams. So, you know, kind of a different type of schedule. Obviously, things were also different without fans. Uh, the fall camp was 
strength. I mean, at one point they were training for a September start and then they basically had to pause or pause while trying to stay in shape. There was no spring ball. Summer ball was, was weird and different as well. Um, and then of course, Michigan specifically had a lot of injuries. I mean, you can rattle them off. Jalen Mayfield, Cam McGrone, Quiddy Pay, Ryan Hayes, Aiden Hutchinson. Um, if I'm if I'm forgetting both, both one of quarterbacks. The, yeah, both quarterbacks. Yep. And and then of course there were opt-outs as well with Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins. I think I think I pulled up the stat that of their top five draft picks, I think they played a combined like six games, or I think it was like a combined eight or 10 games last season for Michigan out of a possible 30. So, um, so yeah, that's the, that's the debate we're going to have. Obviously it's, it's a, by nature, it's a debate. I don't think there's any correct answer until they play, but Steve, I will let you go first. When you kind of look ahead toward 2021, Michigan was, was really bad last season. And I think that's, that's naturally causing, most of like these preview magazines or, or, or preseason uh, preview articles to, to really, I mean, Michigan's not in anyone's top 25. They, I don't think anyone's expecting them to, uh, you know, contend for the big 10 title. And then, and then even, I mean, there are, there are a lot of places and, and perhaps there's, this will be a debate we have in the back half of this episode uh, that are putting teams like Indiana ahead of Michigan and, and some, I think might even toy with the idea of putting Michigan state ahead of Michigan. So I guess when, when you see this and, 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 you know, obviously we discussed the 2020 season at length in the moment and after how much stock do you put into that 2020 season? I mean, is it, is it fair to write it off as, as a weird year or is it, is it fair to say, boy, they really, I mean, every, the wheels fell off and everything fell apart. I, I guess, how do you assess it now that we are, I don't know, six, seven months removed from the end of, of Michigan season? Uh, answer's always in the middle, a little bit, right? I think, <clears throat> I think the biggest, yeah. I'll, on one hand, it felt like after the Michigan State game that Michigan just, just gave up almost. Uh, we saw lax effort on both sides of the ball in multiple games following that loss, particularly defensively. I, I, even though they won, I always look at Rutgers and feel like there was some really, really just not caring going on out there at certain. And that was games. one of their wins. Yeah. That's what I said is <laughs> that the one game that they ended up winning, um, you know, that's, that was something that stood out to me at the same time though. I do think, the naysayers, the detractors, I don't think put take into account just how banged up Michigan was between the injuries and the opt-outs. Uh, you're talking mm-hmm. about probably, yeah, six of their best eight players, yeah. right? And, and, and at important positions. You know, we're already reading reports of Nico Collins actually having a really good training camp for, for Houston. You know, feels like a guy that would have been a, obviously would have been a huge asset again, accord the quarterback situation. I know Milton struggled was replaced, but neither guy was like you know, McNamara played hurt for a while. It felt like, so, I mean, we, we had talked openly 
before the cancellations that that there was a good chance that Dan Valari would have been the starter for Michigan if, if they had played Ohio State. Yep. Right. I think that's what do you, that's what do you infinite? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you, how much stock you put into Michigan in that game starting their third string quarterback, who a guy who'd never played a college snap in his career? Right. So, it, again, it's, it's in the middle. I think Michigan's a definite rebound candidate this year. It's just the question is, what, what does a rebound mean? Is seven and six a rebound over <laughs> two and four? You know, that's not going to appease, that's not going to appease many people. I do think. There, I do think they're being slept on a little bit nationally, which is a nice change of pace, I think, for maybe the mentality in the locker room, which I think is the biggest thing that will answer whether or not it really was an aberration because the the, the bigger problem, as many physical issues as they have, we just talked about, the, the mental issues seem to be as evident, if not worse, just across the portions of the roster that were still healthy enough to play. So Michigan changes things up. We've talked a lot about the new staff, et cetera, et cetera, how they kind of rebound mentally, I think will go a long ways. I think the, the Washington game in week two, if they were to lose that game, how they kind of rebound from something like that. Cause again, we're not picking Michigan to go undefeated. Nobody's no. going to, right. So we expect them to lose a game at some point how they maybe respond after whenever that first loss may happen. I think we'll know a lot about whether or not 2020 was, was a a sign of things to come or just a blip on the radar. Yeah. I, if I'm picking between, cause I'm with you, I think, I think it is in the middle and we also won't know until the games are played, but if I'm actually picking a side to this debate, I, I think it, I think you can write it off as a little bit of a fluke. Um, and I've been pretty harsh on on the team and, and what it was and, and the changes that needed to be made. I think Michigan addressed a, a healthy chunk of those changes. We'll see if they address them correctly in September, October. But I, I just – because the, the thing that, that also doesn't get discussed, because the, the injuries are a part of that and the opt-outs are a part of that. And Michigan also had 10 players drafted the year prior. And I believe it was the Wisconsin game where Michigan didn't play very well. They got, you know, destroyed. Uh, and they just looked like they were, they, they almost looked like a, a mid-major team playing Wisconsin. But um, I think I added it up and I think Michigan was missing between injuries, opt-outs, players departed from the year before. 17 starters from the 2019 team that that's um, you know, it was kind of the primary starting 22. And, and as you mentioned at a lot of key positions and it was kind of like, okay, if Michigan had gone into the season, into this season, and let's say they had lost last season, Nico, you know, from they, they finished the 2019 season, they lose all the players they lost. They also lose Nico Collins, Ambry Thomas, Quiddy Pay, Aiden Hutchinson, um, you know, Jalen Mayfield, Ryan Hayes, they all leave. People would not be going into the 2020 season like, oh, Michigan will be good. I mean, people would be saying, no, that's not going to be a very good team. And so the Michigan State loss, they were healthy for, right? And so that that 
that is the, I guess the point that you bring up is, is how, what were the mental issues that caused Michigan to, I don't know if it was, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know if it was overconfidence or lack of preparation or, uh, you know, mental, maybe mentally kind of checking out because there aren't fans. It, it is, it is a weird year. I haven't heard a single athlete, you know, talk about how much they, they loved being on campus this year. I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, it, it was just such a completely different experience, but that's where you wonder, okay, some teams actually did pretty well with this, uh, you know, kind of embracing the, the mental anguish of the weird season. So the Michigan State part gives me pause, but but the rest of the season, I mean, they were they were legitimately dinged up. They were a legitimately young team, and and they were a program that um, probably sh- was incorrectly <laughs> labeled as a contender heading into the season. That frankly had more rebuilding to do than 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 we realized. Uh, and 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 when the injuries happen and the opt outs happen, then that looks even worse. So. I'm of the of the belief that Michigan was kind of a if if they had played a 12 game season, they were kind of a, a it was a down year to be sure, but more of the seven eight win variety. You know the seven and six eight and five, a season no one's no one's happy with, but they're maybe not. You know it's not, not maybe not quite the 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 stench around it like a two and four season has. So if I if I were to pick a side, I, I do think it's in the middle. I think there are some. The defense clearly had some serious schematic issues to address. I think, Steve, you and I have been saying that since the 2019 season, actually, um, where it was kind of like they didn't make the changes that I think we thought they should have made. Now they have, arguably, a year late. So there were some serious defensive issues. Uh, hard, Hard to look at that Michigan State game and say that the defense was prepared from a not even just like schematic standpoint, but like a fundamental standpoint. So, th- so there are some, some serious issues. I don't think Michigan would have had a great season last year under any context, but if I'm looking at it, you know, kind of zooming out a little bit now that we're a few months removed, I, I think that it's, it was probably closer to a seven, eight win team in a, in a full season. And I think that the injuries and departures were legitimate. I mean, you know, everyone talks about how much Michigan's NFL draft, everyone in the Michigan fan base talks about Michigan's NFL draft success. And it's very impressive. It's at the top five level. Um, You know, you can measure that in a few different ways, but that, that also does put a lot of pressure on Michigan to adequately recruit develop and reload talent year in and year out. I mean, that 2019 team, I don't think anyone was saying that, that that team is the third or fourth most talented team in the country from an NFL standpoint, but they've had 18 draft picks in the last two years. And so, so that that's, that's maybe the, the part where I can, I can see where Michigan fans are frustrated because it's like, finally a player starts looking good and then they're, then they're gone. So I, I'm willing to count it as a write-off. I mean, when I when I look into the 2021 season, I almost look at it the same way I look at 2019, which 2019 was not a season Michigan 
was especially proud of, but, but it was nine and four. They were a top 25 team, I believe the entire season. So yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting debate kind of looking at, at, at uh, what's, what's next for Michigan. So Steve, I, I guess the other, the other question with this is with them going two and four, which parts of the team are you, are you looking at specifically as, okay, they didn't have an excuse last year. How are they going to develop? How are they going to be ready to be, let's, let's say a top 15 team. Cause maybe that's, that's the realistic goal for Michigan this season, but whether they get there or not is to be debated. But, but I think if Michigan finished as a top 15 team this season, I think most people would call that a successful season. So if 2020 was a write-off, I mean, how do they, how do they make sure that they are on track for that goal heading into this season? Couple things. I mean, and we're, I know we'll get into the receiver stuff in, in a little bit, but I just think Michigan's offensive line feels talented enough to allow this offense to succeed at a higher level than it has. In, in the last two seasons, particularly in like bigger games. I feel, I think Michigan fans probably should feel more comfortable with McNamara at quarterback or whoever wins. Again, we, I think we last episode we said, I don't think that, I don't think JJ McCarthy will go down without a fight this fall, but, um, and there's, well, there's Alan Bowman too, but either way, I think Michigan should feel more comfortable at quarterback maybe than they did last year and the year before, as far as, the surrounding cast offensively feels stronger from top to bottom, particularly up front where I think that they can, they can, I think they can find more success running the football to open things up in the passing game. So I think a lot of the talk is going to be about the defense, right? How do the corner, how do the corner, the cornerbacks respond? Does Daxon Hill play like a five-star? Where's the linebacker depth? interior right I mean there's a lot I think there are more questions I, I and that's why I think the onus is on the offense to be what we think they can be this season and like I said I think that starts up front you know you're talking about guys like Ryan Hayes coming back Andrew Stuber has a ton of experience and then you have really talented young players like Zinter Trevor Keegan uh, Barnhart all kind, you know, other guys that are, are ready, it feels like, to take that step forward. So the questions will be on defense, but I think what can help Michigan, what can be the, the propellant to maybe having a season that fans will be happy about, I think starts up front on the offensive line. That, that's kind of where, I, where I'm at with it. Yeah, I, I like that point because I, I think – I think Michigan needs to be a really good offense this season to be a good team. Like, I, I don't think this can be a year where they have a top 40 ish offense, but have a strong, I mean, it, maybe, maybe they surprise. I just, I don't know if I see a, 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 you know, a great defense based on the personnel that they have, but I do think there's, there's really a lot of potential on the offense. You, you mentioned the offensive line. I mean, they've got the size, they've got the experience. I would argue they've got the recruiting talent to put together a top 15 offensive line. 
still have to do it, but I think, I think there's the, there's a path, uh, you know, running back. I don't think you have to look too, you don't have to squint too much to see some talent in the running back room. Um, you know, the receivers, we'll talk about them in a moment. And then the quarterback, Steve, I, I have a story that will come out, I think next week, looking at some of the biggest strengths for Michigan at each position group. Uh, these, these quarterbacks that Michigan has, McNamara, McCarthy, and Bowman, they have thrown a lot. You know, you, I, think, uh, I think Charles Power had this stat that like a lot of the top NFL-drafted quarterbacks had really prolific high school careers from a throwing standpoint. And obviously, you can be a first-round pick no matter how much you throw in cop. But but I think that the genesis is that like it's it, it tends to be better to have thrown a lot in your career than necessarily be the six-five or six-four kind of the the create a player camp superstar with with all the talent in the world. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like thinking of like a baseball pitcher. Okay, there are play, there are pitchers who can pitch really well i mean they have just the physical tools but then there are pitchers who's just thrown a lot and they know how to adapt and adjust in games and and know how to you know adjust to different batters and know how to handle certain situations that michigan's quarterback room all three of those quarterbacks i mentioned threw for more yards and touchdowns in high school uh than shea patterson dill mccaffrey wilton spate brandon peters jake rudock joe milton and shane morris all they they threw for more yards and more touchdowns than all of them. And so I'm really curious about about the room because you mentioned I think there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of of show me emphasis with this quarterback room. But the, they have thrown a lot. You know, it's it's not it, it, they're inexperienced speaking to McNamara and McCarthy in terms of college. But they're not experienced inexperienced as quarterbacks and Bowman is very experienced as a quarterback. So I'm very fascinated by by the room, and I I'm with you. I think you can look at the the cornerback room and say, well, that you know, if Michigan's going to be good, they need to play better. I think that's fair to say. I think the safety room, I'd argue, there's too much talent for that to not be a really strong strength of the team. And then I think you know, defense, the front seven, as we discussed last episode, a lot of lot of room for improvement there. There is, and there, there's talent to improve, but but they also have a long ways to go. But I, I think I think it has to be – I think Michigan needs a top 20, top 25 offense this season to be a top 15 team. You know, I, I think they need some maulers up front. I think they need the, the all the talent that we've talked maybe ad nauseum about, you know, the speed and the, the shiftiness and, and some of the playmakers they have. They need that to show. And then the quarterback – Whoever is the starter has to has to jump in right away. You know they don't they don't have time to get used to the water because they they play Washington in week two. I, I'd argue Western Michigan is an above average Group of Five team. Um, you know I don't know if that's upset alert or anything, but but you know Michigan's not they're not going to have a seventy to three you know week week one two and three. I mean they are going to have to be good right away and speaking of real quick on the oh sure few guys you know i think of like that could also just individuals that could dictate a rebound on either side of the ball are guys who actually have to rebound 
themselves. So Brad Hawkins, yeah, had a very rough 2020. I think Josh Ross, another one. Um, Chris Hinton too. I think I think it's time there. Mm-hmm. You know, for for if we're gonna see something there. So obviously rebound will be pushed by the units as a whole, but within those units, obviously there are guys personally who maybe didn't have a great 2020 who are capable Vincent gray also, which I know has become a favorite um, kind of one of the first guys people point to because of his, his struggles, but like right. a, a really one of the, like him and Hawkins, both guys that like their struggles last season were, were borderline mysterious. Uh, you know, gray actually played really well against Alabama in the bolt in the, the citrus bowl in 19 and you're talking about again you know Devonte smith jerry judy henry ruggs like literally yeah. nfl <laughs> receivers uh played a really good game and it was just something was not right uh in 2020 so those guys to get mentally back on track you know i think as individuals there's a few guys i think in particular that could really you know yeah dictate whether michigan accomplishes what what most would consider an acceptable 2021 yeah that's that's very true we're going to take a quick break on the other side we'll talk about some of the opponents michigan will face uh and and who is the toughest opponent on michigan's schedule thinking about the context of the schedule as well other than ohio state you're listening to the wolverine 24 7 podcast when you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So this this one came about, it, it was another discussion that occurred on the message board. Uh, apparently, the way I described Michigan's loss to Indiana last season, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it rubbed people the wrong way is the right word, but, but it, it caused a stir over me kind of asserting that Indiana was significantly better than Michigan and, and, and probably should be viewed as better than Michigan heading into this season, a, a, a statement that I don't actually know if I agree with. Um, we'll talk about it in a moment, but, but it, it kind of got me thinking, okay, I, you know, Ohio state, that's, they're on a different level right now. They just played in the national title game. They look pretty, they have some questions themselves, but they look pretty capable of getting back to that national title game this season. But the rest of Michigan's schedule uh, still, still is very intriguing. You know, I think there's a few quote unquote gimme games. You never know, but but you kind of if we're predicting, 
Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, uh, Maryland, even with, with uh, Talia as their quarterback, I, I still, I don't know if I see them truly uh, contending with Michigan Rutgers, even last season aside, you know, there's the write-off part, but I just, I don't know if that game's close in the big house this fall. Um, so there's, there's a couple games that are, that are maybe on the easier end. I think you could argue Nebraska uh, might be, even if it's on the road, might be on the easier end. But there's some other games for a variety of reasons that I, I've kind of circled as potential candidates to be the second toughest game on the schedule. There's a game at Wisconsin. There's a game at Penn State, a home game against Indiana, home game against Washington, road game at Michigan State, home game against Northwestern. I don't know if it, I don't know if we need to rank all six of those, but those are kind of the ones I've penciled in as depending on how good Michigan is next season, how good those teams are. Uh, those could be toss ups. Michigan could be an underdog, uh, or Michigan could be favored. Steve, I'll let you go first. I, I think I know which one you're going to pick, but of those games, which one should worry Michigan the most? It's tough. I think Michigan's schedule sucks this year. Uh, this is a it's it's a lot rough. I I'm not I'm obviously not going to pick this game, but you know that game at Nebraska is going to be at night, and there is a ton of pressure on Scott Frost to produce at, at this season, and I, I think that game is going to be a rough game. Whether Nebraska even turns out to be that great or not. That's one of those they're going to be circling that one on the calendar all year because it'll be their big night game. It'll probably be prime time-ish or something. That one is quietly uh, a very not – I don't even think trap game. I think it's going to be just a tough game. Which Northwestern team? You know, if it's like Northwestern is very up and down. If it's it last year's yeah. Northwestern team, then that's another rough one. Um I do think the answer still is between at Wisconsin at Penn state there. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I think I said before the show, I was thinking Penn state, I'm actually going to lean Wisconsin. Michigan has struggled mightily against Wisconsin. Uh, it, yeah. What's the combined score of the last few years? Right. I mean, they, they beat them pretty good. Like it's been, it's been back and forth, right? You had the Jordan Lewis game. Then I believe you had the, didn't they blow them out also? Or was that the same game? Did LeVert Hill so, have the pick okay. six in the same game as Jordan Lewis made the interception? No. So, right. so 2016, 14 to seven, Michigan wins. That's a Jordan Lewis game. Uh, 2017 is the Brandon Peters yep. um, concussion yep. game. That game was pretty close. 2018, Michigan rolls to a victory. But then the last two seasons have not even, you know, I mean, they were down. I think a combined nine touchdowns yeah. at halftime in those two games. And so for that reason, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Michigan has played Penn state pretty well um, overall. Right. I mean, even the game they lost in happy Valley a couple of years ago, they were a dropped touchdown pass away from coming back from three touchdowns down to tie it uh, on the road. So Wisconsin just always seems to they their 
blueprint has been Michigan's Achilles. I mean, they have just beat the crap out of Michigan up front the last two years. Yeah. And it's going to be a very big question mark this season again. Uh, they're going to be challenged like crazy. And we've seen – I know they struggled down the stretch last year, but I just think Graham Mertz is the most talented quarterback Wisconsin's had in a while, probably since Russell Wilson, right? Just on, on strictly on talent alone. You know, now he's a returning starter with a ton of experience under his belt. I just think that game is is going to be – very tough. You can always just go and look and say, well, Wisconsin lost this guy and that guy. They just seem to come out of the ground there as yeah. far as like, who they, you know, it's like whoever they have. So I'm actually going to go, I'll go with West. I'll just, I'll give you the three. I'll go Wisconsin, then Penn state. I am. I'm going to say Nebraska. I just think, wow. okay. I just think that game is going to be, we've seen Michigan wither in those spots before. Big game on the road. They're, yeah, the, the Lincoln Memorial is going to be full. They still have, despite their struggles, Nebraska still has one of the most rabid, uh, hardcore fan bases in college football. I just think that game is going to be really, really tough for Michigan. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll wait before I before I dog that pick. I I I'm just not super sold on. Nebraska taking a step forward this season. I, I'm not I necessarily think. either. Yeah. though. That's the thing. Like that's, it's not so but much. Have they, that I come, think, have they what? Well, have they come close to like a big win? I mean, you, cause, cause you gotta think they, they're hungry for, sorry, that, that was not meant to be like as blunt as it was, but no, you're right. No, you're, I was laughing because I, you're right. I mean, it's, they, they have it. That like almost makes me feel more comfortable in saying it though, because it just, the, the, you know, I, I don't know. I just think the pressure is so huge on them this year. Frost has not delivered. And and I know they've they've had some, you know, Wandale Robinson left. Uh, I don't know if their quarterback situation is still in flux or not. Uh, yeah, that one right. of them transferred. <laughs> right. So I just, just, but I just, you know, it'll be a metal, a metal testing game. Not to mention it is the week after they play Wisconsin. So, mm. You know, we say we t- I talk about how they might rebound after their first loss. I think there's a decent chance Michigan's four and zero going into Madison, right? Yeah, they they come out of that game, say Wisconsin beats them, then all of a sudden that, that then we're talking about the main my main thesis point was how Michigan will respond after their first loss. Now you're going into Lincoln, like I said, probably a night game, rabid crowd, all the pressure in the world on Nebraska to win. So I just think it sets up the schedule sets up for some it's, it's interesting, you know, it's going to be a, it's a bit of a gauntlet. It's not like you're taking on a top 15 team, but all, I mean, there's six games in a row where Michigan is going to have to play a very high quality football game. If they want to win due to various reasons they're going to be more talented than at least half of these teams probably four of the six if not five but there are factors and situations in play that that can put all of those games in doubt there are and i I don't think you're wrong to pick one of the road games as as the third toughest because michigan has has struggled away from the michigan stadium atmosphere once again 2020 aside i mean even even when they were 
you know, doing well under Jim Harbaugh. Um, they haven't, they haven't exactly delivered on the road. I would say at a level you would expect for how good the teams were. But I, I almost think that, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast before. I almost think they struggle more on the road when they're like lulled to sleep a little bit. Like it's a, um, like at Northwestern in 2018 or, you know, some of these late arriving crowds, Wisconsin, I know has, has had some late arriving crowds. Um, seems like Indiana has, has kind of caught Michigan by surprise on the road a couple times. They didn't win until last season, but I think a, you know, high packed atmosphere actually could help Michigan, but, but you're right. It, it, it will be tough. And you're, and you're absolutely right that Nebraska, I don't know exactly how their schedule shakes out, but they might, they might spend a couple weeks, extra weeks this summer game planning for that game, kind of feeling like a win over Michigan could, um, you know, kind of catalyze the team a little bit. So yeah, has, has trap game potential. I agree with you on Wisconsin. They're, they're the number one. I think hard, hard to not say Penn state is, is the number two, even though I think that they are, I think they're in a similar spot as Michigan in terms of they, they, they keep producing NFL talent. They're recruiting solidly, but they're, but it just seems like every year there's a couple position groups where they just, they're, they're vulnerable. And I think, I think Michigan and Penn state are kind of, I, I view them, maybe this is wrong of me, but I view them relatively similarly heading into this season. Um, the only, the of, only difference was Penn state played a little bit better near the end. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I both were, had very disappointing seasons overall, I would suspect. Um, and, and probably Penn state, I think would have the, could argue that they had the same quote unquote write off excuse. I mean, they had Friar Muth out uh, Parsons out. I, I, I don't remember all the names of everyone else who was out, but it, it was like, it was funny. Cause I think people were like, I think it was like CBS had um, 11 players combined between Penn state and Michigan in their top, like, 200 draft prospects and i think like one of them was playing in that game and it was quitty pay right, right. something ridiculous so anyway penn state, i still so, think that's really tough so nebraska real quick the, there's a shot they're five and one going into that michigan game there you go they got oklahoma they have to go to oklahoma on september 18th that looks like a pro you would assume that's a probable <laughs> yeah, that's... loss but <laughs> otherwise at michigan state we'll see uh, and they get Northwestern. I take Michigan State. I, they got a lot of questions to answer too, though. Still, uh, at, and Nebraska, they get Northwestern at home. I wouldn't pick them to be five and one, but there is a possibility they'd be five and one in that spot. So, think of that. They have they have Minnesota and Purdue after that. Their their schedule is very back half. They have Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa to end the Whew. season. Uh, it's not going to be easy. Great, they get two of them at home, but either way, so. Yeah, I mean, you could foresee, you know, if let's say they upset, I don't know what the line would be for Nebraska, Michigan State right now, but Northwestern, let's say they're favored, they upset Northwestern, you're five and one. Based on the Northwestern's the only real legit opponent they have at home before Michigan, so we're going to assume that's a night game. That just becomes, again, Michigan probably more talented, Michigan on a level playing field would probably beat Nebraska more times than Nebraska would beat Michigan, but you get all those other factors in there. You build the pressure up, just makes it an interesting little game. 
Yeah. Keep your receipts if you want. I think North Nebraska, Illinois is going to be pretty tough for the Cornhuskers. That's that's where I'm at. All right. On on viewing Bielema's, Nebraska. Bielema's first. Is that literally the first game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I right. think it's the first game of the college football season. Sure. Sure. You know, I, we don't need to talk about the Illinois Nebraska game any more than that. I, I think it'll be closer than one. I don't think Nebraska is going to be five and one. And two, I think that there's, um, I think that there's a potential for a couple losses on Nebraska's schedule. So anyway, I'm with Wisconsin. I'm with you, Wisconsin, Penn state, probably one and two. Uh, and so for me, it's a debate between Washington Indiana, you're right. Northwestern. I mean, if they they have won the Big Ten West two of the last three years, so uh, hardly hardly a team to to discount. And then I think Michigan State as well. Um, of those four, I, I think I'm I'm going to go with Indiana. Uh, I, I I actually kind of like. Michigan's chances just because they're so familiar with Indiana, they do the scouting report every year. You know, I think they, um, I mean, they know what, what Michael Penix is about. They know his game. You know, Indiana did lose a lot of coaches. I mean, Kane Womack's gone. Uh, you know, he's their really good defensive coordinator who, who found some key to success against Wisconsin. I think they held, they held Wisconsin to six points. Um, you know, maybe maybe Michigan ought to ought to watch that game to, to figure out what to do against the Badgers. But yeah, it's um, but they 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 do have talent that that has caught the eyes of of NFL. I mean, them and them in Washington, I I think I view kind of similarly. They're they're both at home, which could help Michigan. But you know, talented enough, have enough, you know, kind of game changing type of players. That, that they'll be very, very interesting. Now, now I'm just hung up on Nebraska. I'm like, am I missing something here? <laughs> like, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, I did, uh, you know, I kind of have started those um, position group rankings of, of Michigan's opponents, and, and Nebraska really just did not jump out to me at any, any spot in particular. Um, so it's not, plus, about, like, like, again, it's not about their rosters. I just think it's all the other factors that play in that game. And like I said, Michigan. <laughs> It's also big, big because it's on the road. If yes, it was, that if is it was, true. If it was at home, it wouldn't even be in that. We wouldn't even mention them. Like I wouldn't even yeah. consider it. So, yeah, yeah. Really curious about Michigan State. I just I don't know what they're going to be with all the roster changes. Um, and then of course there's always the mental. You know, in that game, you almost want to have lost the previous year when when previewing the next season, because I think like, you know, it's all about the hunger and the motivation and everything. So uh, that's a, that's a narrative heavy matchup, but yeah. So that's, those are our thoughts there. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I think just Wisconsin, the way they've beaten Michigan, because they, they haven't beaten every team that way. It's not like they're steamrolling everybody, but for some reason, well, we, we, we know a couple of the reasons, but they, they just seem to absolutely destroy Michigan the past two seasons. So Michigan's going to have to figure it out. And, and that one's a tricky one because it's, it's early. It's Michigan's first road game. It, it, it'll probably be, um, you know, if whoever the starting quarterback is, it'll be their, unless it's Alan Bowman, it'll be their first, you know, true road hostile environment. So yeah, that's, that's a, that'll be a real gut check for Michigan. All right. Last topic. I know it's been discussed 
in some other pods, but, but we're going to talk about it in the context of kind of where this wide receiver room is at. Dalen Baldwin committed from Jackson State, also played at Morgan State, FCS commitment, but, but someone that, that, you know, our 24-7 sports national analysts are very high on. I think there's a lot of upside. You can go watch the film. Uh, you know, it's kind of limited in how much film there is, but, but just seems like, seems like someone who will contribute to, to a Power 5 program. You know, Ohio State offered, Penn State sounded like they were getting kind of close to an offer. But Baldwin is from Southfield, Farmington area, um, committed to Michigan, you know, very earlier than he was initially planning to commit. So seems like a really a rare break for Michigan in the transfer portal where the guys, you know, I, I always think that where a guy's from plays a big role in where they end up transferring to if they're if they're transferring up. Um, you know, it was, it was it sounds like it was the easiest transfer recruitment Michigan's had other than Mike Dana. But I did five thoughts on it. I, I, I am not projecting him to start. I am projecting him to play a lot. He's six, a legit six, three. You see some listings of six, four, 210 pounds. Um, so he's, he's got pretty good size on a, and he joins a receiver room where they're, um, you know, they have Cornelius Johnson, they have Andrew Anthony, they have Christian Dixon, but they're not, you know, a lot of their top receivers are kind of, of the six foot six one, maybe even shorter variety. So Steve, your, your initial thoughts on the recruitment and, and kind of what this does for the receiver room, how this changes the dynamic. This is one of those we talk, when we talk about people ask about the portal, we talk about Michigan will exhaust any option they think makes the roster better from top to bottom, you know, cause receiver probably wouldn't have been one of the first couple positions we would it wasn't the one we discussed. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't have been one of the positions we would have pegged that they're going to get a guy or that they're going to heavily pursue a guy. I mean, he had an, this, he legit had an Ohio state offer. Now we know Ohio state not going to be hurting at receiver in 2021 or 2022 right. or 2028 with the roster they have right now. But the fact that they legit offered him a scholarship after a workout you, too, yes, not should, a courtesy. Exactly. Yeah. Should tell you that this guy's capable of making some impact plays uh, in the big 10, you know, that, that again, I mean, Ohio state's got like eight top 100 receivers on their roster or something. It's out, it's outrageous. The talent they have at that position. Like you could argue that they've recruited that position better than any school has recruited any position over the last like three or four recruiting cycles. And they still offered, Baldwin a scholarship so and again he wouldn't have started there but either way you know that's where depth chart can play a little bit of an advantage Michigan could use a guy like this you talk about the size discrepancy you know you give now you have him and Cornelius Johnson as guys that can kind of are, are more of that what I would kind of consider your classic Michigan receiver at least in as far as body type goes so mm-hmm. yeah I think he'll make I think he's got the chance to make a, a pretty significant impact for them. Uh, a lot of people are talking about him as a guy who should get drafted after this season. Uh, again, I think he's going to have to show it, but yeah. that's why you, well, of course he's going to have to show you. I mean, he's, he's, he can't not show it <laughs> and get, expect to get drafted. No, but either. I know what you mean. Like, right. like there, there's, there's optimism because of what he did at Jackson state, but I, I think it, 
I mean, it, it was FCS, right? right? Exactly. He, isn't, he isn't being asked to block at the same level. He isn't asked to be competing in like tra- high traffic passes at the same caliber. I, th- I think some parts of the Southwest athletic conference uh, are, are, you know, really good, but I, I just don't, I think the physical, the physicality of the big 10 will be probably the biggest question. Like every draft pick has to show it, but I think right. there will be, some eyes on how he handles certain things in the right. big 10. He physically looks like a, you know, like a legit college receiver though. Very impressive physically. Yeah. This almost like, uh, you know, the Jay Toya thing didn't work out for Michigan and that was at a bigger position of need. Uh, but this one kind of feels like a Michigan caught a break here uh, to have a former yeah. local kid uh, become such a stud at his level and enter the portal, you know, and again, it, whether he would have played at Ohio state or not, I mean, this is still a kid who chose Michigan over Ohio state. I mean, that's still a, a, mm-hmm. still a recruiting win to an extent again. So I know feel like we have as many people from Columbus that listen to these for some odd reason, uh, <laughs> you know, it's okay. You know, so, but, but obviously had a bigger opportunity at Michigan to make an impact. So I think it's a choice that made sense for both sides. Yeah. And one that allows you to, maybe breathe a little bit about the receiver room because it well because they did lose two pretty talented players right and it's a spot it's a spot where maybe we haven't talked enough about it's like a little bit like linebacker where they it feels really good up top like they're going to get some quality play from the guys that should play but they're an injury or two away from you know being in an interesting position particularly if say if, if Cornelius Johnson gets hurt yeah. You're throwing Andrell Anthony, who again we've heard had a good spring, but is a true freshman. You're throwing a guy like Andrell Anthony into the into the fire right away as your only receiver who's only over like six foot, six foot one. So yeah, yep. Right. So that that it gives them a little bit of breathing room at that outside spot, too, you know, to have a little bit more depth there. Um, and I think much like Dana, I think there's like there's a ceiling to this one. I mean, I think this is a guy that if he acclimates himself, I mean, could really, could really make a big impact for them. So. I, I agree. I I'm very like, I'm so curious to hear kind of the, the first impressions maybe two weeks into fall camp. Cause, cause I do think receiver is a spot where if I hear coaches say, Oh yeah, he's, he's really looking good. And, and it's not a, um, it's not when he's, when they're asked about somebody, you know, cause that's, that's, you know, the Nico Collins hype was building before his, his sophomore season. Um, you know, every, every once in a while, you know, Amar Darbo, I think was another guy who kind of got the, the pre fall camp buzz. Uh, and then, and then really had a strong Ronnie Bell was another one. And actually Cornelius Johnson, you know, he, a, a lot of stuff got overlooked because of how poorly Michigan season went last year. If you go back and watch the games, I mean, there's certainly, room to improve and, and some learning moments. He had a couple really quiet games, but there were, I mean, Cornelius Johnson had more 100 yard games last season than Nico Collins did in his entire career at Michigan. You know, he had a couple games where he was, he was truly in a takeover mode and was just looking really, really, really good. Um, I'm actually a little bit more. So I, I know exactly what you're saying, Steve, where, where if they lose one tall guy, they're in a pickle, but I'm actually pretty sold on the receiver room. I, I, 
they had a bit of a, a small case of the drops last season. So that's something that needs to be, to be fixed. But I, I feel like they've got a really good blend, even before Baldwin of, of size and speed. And what I think Baldwin adds in addition to the, you know, NFL potential that, that uh, you and others have discussed is I think he gives Michigan a lot of flexibility. You know, if they want to line Ronnie Bell up in the slot, they can do that. They don't have to put him outside. If they want to put Roman Wilson in the slot, they can do that. They don't, I mean, you know, you, you lose the need to like, you know, when someone's six foot six, one, they have to play outside. Now you can get a little bit more creative. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, we still haven't really seen what I think Josh Gaddis wants his offense to look like, but, but the way he talks about receivers, I think he really likes being able to, to be creative and, and flexible and put guys in, in different spots. I think that's, that's probably where he feels most comfortable in putting plays and, and schemes together is like being able to put guys where he wants to, not where he has to. And so that's where I think Baldwin is a, is, is a really beneficial pickup for Michigan in addition to the potential. I mean, uh, the, the swag, Steve, I was telling you this before the, before we hit record, they've produced some pretty good receivers. Um, you know, John Stallworth, Jerry Rice, some might've heard of him, uh, Donald Driver, Charlie Joyner, you know, it's, those are all decades ago, but, but it's not, you know, there are players who have transferred out of the, the Southwest athletic conference who have, who've made impacts at the power five level. So, um, certainly very, very curious. Steve, as someone who covered the state of Michigan recruiting, had you ever heard of this guy before? I believe vaguely, I guess is the best way to put it. It's a name. I feel like I remember, but I know Michigan didn't really show. Sure. Well, much I mean, I don't the think first time around nobody did. Yeah. I was going to say right? Morgan state was his only division one offer. And I think grand Valley might have offered. Right. I I'm just curious how he got, you know, he, he described himself as a late bloomer, but I think his coach actually disputed that. I'm, I'm just curious how he, how he was this far under the it, radar. I mean, it, it happens, man. I mean, there's always, Every cycle, there's always guys. You see it every year. You see it in the NFL draft. You see a guy drafted from, you know, Podunk U. You're like, what the, hell, <laughs> what the hell with this guy? You know, so it happens. But, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty – and that's the thing is, like, Michigan at least can take comfort. At least they weren't the only one that slept yeah, on him. that's true. <laughs> Literally everybody did. You're talking even, like, Western, Central – uh, I was going to say, does, doesn't Eastern take a look here? I, yeah, that's, that's not that, a critique of Eastern. I just am curious. I don't disagree. So. I don't know. I, a name that sounds vaguely familiar, probably actually covered him at an event or two back in the day. But, um, but yeah, no, you got to, man, what a feeling, you know, talk about, and that's another reason. I think the motivation for a guy like that will be sky high now knowing yeah. he's, you could, he can look himself in the mirror and say my hard work, has paid off. Let's keep it going. You know, cause like, yeah, you talk about his, uh, his high school profile and he's made it. Now he'd be playing receiver at the university of Michigan. Like he's got to say, he's got to be thinking, all right, I'm doing a lot of stuff right here. <laughs> let's keep, let's keep doing it right. Uh, and kind of keep it going. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure this week has been uh, awesome for him. I mean that, that you're right. Cause like, that's, that's the dream when you go, I haven't like talked to a ton of athletes who've done this, but I I've, I've talked to a few when you 
kind of go out on a limb and you go to a school that, um, you know, maybe your friends haven't even heard of, <laughs> you know, your teammates, uh, in, in high school are kind of like, man, just hang it up. Right. Like, you know, you're, you're really going to go play for, for a school that no one's heard of, uh, you know, and try to make it up. And, and every player kind of has that chip on their shoulder and they're always trying to ascend, climb, you know, get, get back. Uh, I guess, and, and to, to make it to Michigan, I mean, that's gotta be such a cool feeling for him um, just from a, uh, you know, his own personal life and experience standpoint. So, yeah, I think, I think he'll be a, a, a fascinating addition to the receiver room on the field, but I think, I think he'll, he'll also help off the, I mean, he's been through a lot of spring camps, fall camps. He's been through a lot of college football and, and the receiver room for as, as you know, as much talent as we've talked about there being not a lot of guys who have been through spring camps and fall camps and, and kind of, kind of know what it takes to be good <laughs> at the college level. I mean, you know, he, um, Baldwin, a lot of his quotes at, at Jackson state were about the kind of the accountability he was trying to assert in the receiver room, you know, with don't take any reps off things like that. So yeah, going to be a fascinating addition. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. There's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.